We continue with our series, uh, sermon series, on some chosen favorite passages from people in the congregation. And one of the chosen passages was uh, Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a psalm that's written by King David. And King David, as we know from 1 Samuel 13, 14, yes, he had his challenges and sinful uh, areas in his life. But King David was a man after God's own heart. So let us read Psalm 139. For the director of music of David, a psalm. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will be to guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. But if only you, God, would slay the wicked... Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your sacraments, which we, again, were evident to this morning through baptism of Axel. We thank you for your word that we have the freedom to read and to understand through the power of your spirit. We ask that you work in our hearts through the sacrament and through your word, and may we be transformed more and more into your likeness and grow in a deeper relationship with you so that others, too, may come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. On Wednesday evening this past week, a group of leaders of our church got together to discuss some important questions as they relate to God's desire for His church, our church, Exeter Christian Reformed Church. And the first question that came across our path, the first question that was asked, why do we as Exeter Christian Reformed Church exist? And this is a great question to talk about and discuss. And you can ask this question of any church, as visitors too. You can ask this of your own churches. And I encourage you 
to ask this question and talk about this answer related to the question with friends and, and families in small groups. But on Wednesday evening, the common ground related to this question is that we exist to bring glory and honor to God because God created us for his glory. He created each one of us. He created Axel for his glory. He created us to be in relationship with him and with one another. Because being in relationship brings glory to our God. I appreciate how the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins. Yes, we have the Heidelberg Catechism, but there are other catechisms as well. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this question, what is the chief end of humanity? And it answers, the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Relationship. King David, as we stated already, was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. King David had a relationship with his God, his father God. So as this psalm progresses, David reminds us of certain things about God's relationship with his people. And I think as we hear these things again this morning, some of these things might sound quite basic to you. But we need to be reminded of the foundational truths, truths about God's relationship with us. Perhaps it was clear to you as I read through the 24 verses of the psalm that as we read the first 18 verses, verses 1 to 18, they were talking about praise and, and praising God for who he is, praising God for all that he has done with, for his people. But then you may have noticed that the psalm seemed to change a tone somewhat at verses 19 to 24. Tone of David talking about his enemies and even hatred. But as we'll see as we go through this message this morning, the whole psalm makes sense when you look at it in terms of relationship. In the first part of the psalm, we're made aware that God knows us. Verses 1 to 6, David begins this part of the psalm with the words, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. Now the word search in this passage is to examine with pain and, and with care. The Jewish people would use this word search when describing, like, if they were digging deep into a mine, they're searching for things or exploring, searching a new land. Or in the New Testament, we hear the stories in Luke 15 where there's a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. And those left behind are actively participating in the search. They are seriously searching and they're not going to give up. It's not how some of us are looking for something in our closet or in our toolbox with our eyes half closed and say, well, I just couldn't find it and we leave it at that. The searching in this psalm is like a search and rescue. When David says, Lord, you have searched me, God has gone way beyond the surface. As his people, we often just see the surface. But God, our God, sees deeper. God knows what is in the heart of his people. God knows us so well that he will know where to search. King David, the psalmist, is saying that God knows everything about us. When it comes to ourselves, there is no unknown. There are no unknown areas. There are no hidden areas to God. God knows our full self even better than we know ourselves. Imagine that, right? 
There's nothing that he does not know about us. There's no place that we can go and hide from God. God has such a deep relationship with us that he misses nothing. And through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, he's trying to make us aware of all that hidden stuff in our lives so that we, so that as it surfaces, we too can live in freedom with him in obedience to him. Hebrews 4.13 reads, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him, of him to whom we must give account. God sees things that we as humans do not see. God knows. He knows our minds. He knows our heart. He knows our words before they come out of our mouth. He sees us all. And God knows us so well. And he knows us well because as this passage continues on, that God is with us. Again, this is such a key component to God's relationship with us. So the next verses, 7 to 12, they start off with asking, where could I go from your spirit? And the psalmist realizes that God is all present, and he is continually, and he is constantly with us. You may recall from some passages in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. They couldn't. Jonah tried to run from God. He couldn't. New Testament, Apostle Paul, in his days of persecution, he tried to do his own thing and do it without God. But God gets a hold of his people. God is there. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah refers to Emmanuel. And we hear that word come up again in the New Testament to the person of Jesus Christ. When Christ is born, Jesus, Emmanuel, means God with us. God is among us. He came to earth as a human being. He came to be like one of us and to be with us. After his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven in bodily form. But he did not leave his people alone. God is with us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Continuing, growing, entering and being in relationship with his people. God knows us so well because he is always with us. He's kind of like that best friend or that family member that just never leaves our side in those good times, but also in those times of trouble. So God is with us in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, in our church. He's here with us now. He is with us in all of our lives. And as we go out and make disciples, as we go out and share the message, as we go out and disciple and teach our children and other children— God is with us to the very end of the age. So God knows us. He is with us. And as the psalm continues in verses 13 to 18, we are reminded that God created us. And in those verses, 13 to 18, we read a powerful and descriptive passage of how we belong to God from the time of conception in our mother's womb. God has fearfully and wonderfully made us We are his people. We are created in his image. He has his breath in our lungs. Today, Axel was baptized, and God already established a relationship with Axel even before this day, even before he was born. And today, that relationship became evident and witnessed by all of us through Axel's baptism. 
And again, we, we said and we know that Axel doesn't have a clue about this, but that's the cool part of this relationship with God. It's initiated by God. And if you think about it, none of us really have a complete understanding of the extent of God's relationship with us. But the Holy Spirit, God still is in relationship with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is an axle. It's in each one of us. God fearfully and wonderfully created each of us. But yes, we know the story continues, that this, the fall into sin occurred, and sin entered into this perfect and beautiful world, and sin distorts our relationship with God, and sin distorts our relationships with one another. Sin distorts our relationship even with ourselves. God has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to restore his created beings. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for all our sins. We are image bearers of God, each one of us. And yes, we're broken. And sometimes... Maybe there's times that you even feel that you, you feel with, have little value. But God has taken us, his broken people, and he's made us. He's made the broken into beautiful through his son, Jesus Christ. God is transforming more and more, each one of us, into his likeness. And those are also the promises that we hear over and over again at baptism. God is our God. We are his kids. And he's working in and through us, and he's with us. He created us. And God has a purpose, a plan for each of his kids. In fact, God has chosen, he has elected you for a purpose. Verse 16, we read, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of those days, one of them came to be. God knows us, he's with us, he created us for a purpose. And he has our, all our days planned out. Imagine that. So we are living out his plan as we speak. We are a partner in his ministry, in his mission. And he is calling. He has a calling for each one of us. So whatever you're doing in your life, whether it's eating or drinking or playing or working, do it with thanksgiving to the glory of God. Colossians 3, 17. We are his creation. We're his kids. We're his treasures. And we have all been given a purpose to us by God. God knows us because he's with us. He's created us in his image. And that doesn't mean then, okay, that if God knows us and, and no matter what we do, he knows us anyways, no matter where we are, he's with us. It doesn't mean it's a free-for-all for all of us because God, through this passage, we also remind you that God judges righteously. There's still judgment for his people. And that's where this passage, this psalm, and the verses in this psalm take a bit of a turn, and they may even seem a little bit out of place. Verses 19 to 22, the psalmist David, he kind of takes a bitter turn, if you ask me. David talks about behaviors that are wicked and bloodthirsty and evil intent and those who rebel. And the reality of life is that there are people who rebel against God. And David shows that he is upset with these people, and how much more would God not be upset with these people? Now, it might sound like David hates these people who sin. 
Well, it sounds like that because he actually says that. But this sort of language was a little more common in the Psalms. Jewish people, as David, did openly share their anger with God for those who went against God's will. Because they are enemies to God, and they will be punished. There will be judgment. So these verses emphasize that, yes, there is sin, there is evil in this world. There are people who are rebelling against God. There's sin and evil in our lives. But again, it reminds us how important relationships are to God. And David, King David is aware of that. And so his tone shows that. This is a typical tone when enemies threaten to destroy such a relationship with God and with humanity. Because this is to be taken really serious. Our relationship with God is serious. It is important. And when it comes to our and other broken relationships, we are called to repent and to turn from our wrongdoing. And we can instruct others to do the same, but we let God do the judging. God will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous, who have nothing to do with Jesus, will be judged harshly. Those who are in Christ, those who have Christ in them, they don't have to worry about judgment to hell. Having faith and believing in Jesus means that we are assured that all our sins have been put onto Christ. So when it comes to judgment, Jesus has paid the price and we will be judged to eternal life. David knows this. So he finds it so disturbing when others rebel against God. It gets him angry. It gets him upset. Our God initiates a relationship with his people. We saw that again through baptism of Axel. We see that in our own baptisms. And our God, as he initiates a relationship with his people, he desires that we respond. That we respond in obedience to God. Yes, all our sins are forgiven. But thanks be to God and glory be to God as we respond in gratitude and thanksgiving. Next week we celebrate. We celebrate again. This week we had the sacrament of baptism. Next week we have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And in obedience to our God, we come to the table of the Lord because he calls us to. We come to the table of the Lord because of his relationship with us. Not because we're perfect, not because we've done everything right, but because he's perfect and he's done everything right. And as we prepare our hearts and think about what we're celebrating, think about God's relationship with you. Think about his promises to you. Think about how he knows you. And that he's with you. That he created you for a purpose. And think that despite our sins and our addictions to sin, God still desires to have a relationship with us. His people, because we are his children. He is our Father, and nothing can possibly change that. So as we prepare and as we respond, we hear the final verses, 23 and 24. David knows that we're to be responsible 
for what happens in our own hearts through the Holy Spirit of Jesus because we're called to respond. We have the ability to respond. And David acknowledges that transformation needs to occur, that God needs to search him, that God needs to search each of us and to transform each of us and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us more and more into his likeness. We are to surrender our hearts and our minds and our emotions, our whole self to our God. So allow God to see every part of us. He's going to anyways. So allow him to. to Allow him to see our sins. Allow him to see our mess-ups in life. And God knows things that we don't even know. And if you think about that, that could be a little scary. But it can also be reassuring. Because for the things that we don't know, for the things we haven't confessed, because we don't know to, He's forgiven them all. He's forgiven all our sins. For those who have faith and believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Jesus has taken our sins and our unknown sins upon him. And for that, out of gratitude, let us respond by growing our relationship with him and with others. That is our purpose. That is why we exist. That brings glory to our God. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Father God, all-knowing God, always present God, we thank you for your relationship with us. We thank you that even when we fall short, you continue to reach out to us. Forgive us, Lord, for when we fail to reach back. Forgive us for when we fall into the addictive trap towards sin. Forgive us for all our sins and open our eyes to what we need to confess. And as we do, may we also be reminded of your amazing love and your grace to each of us. So Lord, at this time, at this moment, we just sit here for a moment, confessing our sins and basking in your amazing grace. Lord, forgive us for all our sins. And Lord, as we all together celebrated your grace and love through the sacrament of baptism today, we look forward to all together celebrating your grace and your love through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper next week. Thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your relationship. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.